slip, that attendance slip. Would you please turn with me? Oh, kids are dismissed to children's church. Kids up to the fifth grade can make your way to children's church. Thank you so much. Thank you for those of you who work with our young people. Everybody else, Hebrews chapter 12. I want to begin with a hypothetical question today, and uh, this might, as we talk about it a couple times through the message today, it might make its way into your dinner conversation uh, later on, might be something you'll discuss in a while. You and I understand that Jesus Christ is God the Son, and He came into this world mainly for the reason of saving sinners like you and me. He died on a cross for our sins. But Jesus Christ, when He walked in this world, gave us an example. He gave us great teaching. This is the hypothetical that I want to start with today. We're going to be giving our entire time talking about family and and children. The hypothetical question is this. If Jesus would have been married, and we know He was not, but if Jesus would have been married and would have had children, what kind of parent do you think Jesus would have? have been. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. I'm going to ask you to think of the best qualities in a parent. What kind of father do you think Christ would have been? We'll come back to that question in just a little bit, but I wanted to start by quoting Psalm 127 verse 3, when it says, where it says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And so you and I approach a child dedication service, a parent dedication time with seriousness. And it's a challenge because parents, how many times as parents do we feel like we do not know the answer? We, we just feel clueless when the challenges come. I can remember Tina and I, when we were first parents, making a phone call to a friend who was just a few years ahead of us and asking these questions that we were desperate for answers So many questions come up as we go, and unfortunately, it seems that as soon as we have answers to most of the questions, we're kind of done with the parenting. We kind of get past that stage. We've got it all figured out as soon as the kids get out of the house. But what I want to focus on in God's Word today, and what I want to challenge us as families that have children and those that would influence families with children, I want to encourage us in the area of balance. One of the most difficult areas of success to accomplish in raising children is balance. Now, what do I mean when I say balance? How can we accomplish biblical balance in our parenting? Well, when we study God's Word, we find, first of all, that there is a command for humility. Philippians chapter 2, you and I are to walk in a state of humility. God wants us humble. It's a requirement. How do we balance that with the discipline of a child? Turning the other cheek with the instruction that God has given for us to discipline our children. Let me go back to that hypothetical. If Jesus would have been married and He was not, and if He would have had children and He did not, what kind of a parent do you think Jesus would have been? Do you think Jesus would have had his kids playing musical instruments, possibly? Think so? Do you think Jesus would have gone fishing, 
with his children. How about this one? Do you think Jesus would have spanked his children? I can see the wheels turning in your heads. You can discuss that one amongst your families later on. But just to give you a little bit of a foundation for those later conversations, I want to direct us to Hebrews chapter 12. If you go ahead and turn there with me if you're not already there. Hebrews 12 gives us a picture of God as a father. And I want to read verses 5 and 6, and then we'll skip down to 11. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, whom um, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son He receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so the picture of God as the perfect Father shows us here in Hebrews 12 that God allows correction into His children's lives. God allows suffering. Is God good? Yes or no? He is. Does God have perfect wisdom? He does. Does God allow pain to enter the life of His children? Yes, He does. Sometimes it is for correction. Sometimes it's just for that refining work that He's doing in our lives. And the child who has been disciplined biblically is not going to grow up thinking they've been abused. This is a common attack on families today of how parents can discipline their children. When we look, think of balance, how can we accomplish balance? There's one thing that we must do. If there's going to be discipline, which there has to be, uh, there's going to need to be a steady flow of Bible teaching to help form that child. I'd like to put it this way. If the only time that you touch your child is when you discipline them, they're never going to want you to touch them. Does that make sense? There needs to be a balance of hugs, of embraces. And the Word of God needs to be taught. Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us some of the best instruction for parents in how we're supposed to bring up our children. It says in verses 4 through 7, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. As a church family and as believers, we must hold the institution of family with the highest esteem. And we must understand that the devil is coming for families. He wants so badly to knock down God's pattern for the family, and he will do this until Jesus Christ comes back. So you can't just Fight the fight for a little while. You have to dig in when you go through your, the raising of your children. 
And then when you have someone around you who needs encouragement, who needs prayer, we must be prepared for the long fight. How important is family? Every great general that was ever born was born into a family. Every thief that was ever born was born into a family. Every missionary ever born was born into a family. Every bully at school ever born was born into a family. The Word of God begins with family, and the Word of God ends with family and the most wonderful marriage that we'll ever experience. And we cannot separate the importance of family and the example of God our Father. When we think of God, there are so many names that we have for Him that were given in God's Word. If you ever study through the names of God, you'll see that those names uh, were recorded oftentimes when an attribute of God came to light. And one of my favorite names for God, and one that so oftentimes we will call out in sweet and special times, is the word Father, or more specifically the word Abba. Are you familiar with this word Abba, Father? The English equivalent is, is closer to, be, to sound like daddy is the idea. When we think of our Abba, Father, we think of Him as our source. We think of God the Father as our defender. And those influencing children must never discount God the Father and must never discount the Word that He has given us to raise them by. And so we must teach them the Word. And in order for someone to teach something, they first need to know it, right? Let me ask this question just for illustration's sake. What if the message you're listening to right now, what if you had to teach this message tomorrow? How how much different would your listening change over the next several minutes? Would it change a little bit? Would your note-taking be quite a bit more? Absolutely. Parents who want to point their children to God need to know the Word of God for themselves. And then we as a church family join together. So many of you have volunteered over the years to teach little ones in Sunday school. I personally think it's one of the biggest privileges in the world to be the very first person to tell a child the story of Daniel in the lion's den. They're going to hear that probably hundreds of more times throughout their life and read it in God's Word. And some of you have had the privilege of sharing that for the first time. We have a wonderful Sunday school program here at Calvary. You need to be a part of that volunteering. You need to be encouraging young families to be trained in the Word of God. We also have a wonderful midweek program with Awana, memorizing Scripture, the Gospel. Already in the past few weeks, the Gospel has been clearly presented, and I think it's very sweet. I think I mentioned this earlier. For an individual to have the testimony, I can never remember a time when I didn't believe Jesus was God. So when someone shares their story of coming to Christ, I can never remember a time when I didn't believe the truths of the Bible. Now, there still has to come a time where they make that choice for themselves, but that is a responsible parent 
pouring into their child the Word of God and responsible, a responsible church family. How else can we accomplish balance? Well, we can accomplish balance by this. God needs to be the one who defines beauty and not the world around us. Have you seen that the world has an idea about what beauty is? Have you seen their picture of beauty? It is much different than God's idea of beauty. And we must not allow the world to win this argument, to let them teach the young people what beauty is. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that verse, in my opinion, is one of the most misinterpreted verses in all the Scripture. Oftentimes, the parents of an adult child who raised them in the ways of the Lord will read that verse and maybe claim that as a promise. We find this in the book of Proverbs. This is not an ironclad promise. If we do this, then this will happen. But instead, Proverbs is a collection of wisdom. It could be better understood as a warning. And even with the, the writer there, when you go back and study the original intent, it almost feels like there's some sarcasm in this as far as they're going to go their own way if you're not careful. The own way, a child, the own way of a child is not going to be good. If we don't train our children in the best possible way, then they will go their own way. And so to understand this verse correctly, we cannot remove free will from the child. If they're not going to follow God as they've been taught, we cannot necessarily stop that. But a better way of looking at this verse is a child's way is not good, so don't allow them to go their own way. You step in and show them the right way. I want to use that first word in this verse as an illustration train. But I don't want to use it in the exact way that we're reading it there. I want you to think of, of, of a railway train. I think this could be better taught uh, through maybe a visual help. So, Elliot, would you come up here and give me a hand, please? Elliot's big brother to uh, little Audrey, and so uh, you'll be part of a train. When you think of a train, like a railway train, you think of one following another. Now, we tested this earlier so I can see if Elliot was tall enough. But can you, Elliot, can you go ahead and put your hands on my shoulders? Think of a train. All right, moving on the tracks. Are you ready, Elliot? I can't hear you. Okay, all right. Here we go. You're doing good. Nice job, son. Nice job. Where did Elliot walk? Elliot walked where I walked. A train is one car that follows another. We need to be pointing these young people to examples who love God. Thank you, Elliot. You can go have a seat. When we think of a railway train, one car is following the path of another. Now listen very carefully what I'm about to say. 
from experience, I can tell you that children are not good listeners. But children are good imitators. We need to have individuals put out there for them to imitate. A young girl will become a woman who walks in the Spirit when they are following after a woman ahead of them who is walking in the Spirit. A young boy will become a man who walks in the Spirit when they are following someone ahead of them who's walking in the Spirit. We need to teach them. We need to be the one that's defining beauty for them. Now, when talking about family, I feel comfortable enough to share with you a disagreement that Tina and I had a few years ago in parenting. It's okay. I've already talked with her about this. We had a disagreement back when our daughter Emma was about three years old, I think. You see, I grew up in a family of boys. I'm the youngest of four boys. My dad's the youngest of six boys. I know nothing about girls at all. Still really don't know that much. But when I got my own three-year-old daughter and she would come out with the pretty dress and the pretty bow, I would say something on a regular basis. I would say, oh, Emma, you are so beautiful. And she was. I would just melt all over. I would say this repeatedly, Emma, you are so beautiful. Well, Tina came to me and she said, there's, there's a problem we have here. You see, you're giving her an idea of what beautiful is, and that's not what we want to teach her. And so she said, would you please stop calling her beautiful? Now, what do you think I did? I couldn't do it. I couldn't stop calling her beautiful. She was so beautiful. And so Tina had to take matters into her own hands, and she was going to teach this young lady what beauty was. We will not let someone else, the world, define what beauty is. And it's not just on the outside, and it's not the nice bow and the nice dress, even though those are lovely. But she was going to teach what beauty really is. And she did that. When you share with your brother, that's what makes you beautiful. When you forgive someone, even when it feels like you shouldn't, That's what makes you beautiful. When you show kindness, you are beautiful. Tina's influence won the day to the fact that our daughter got to the point where beauty to her was defined as something that was on the inside and not on the outside. And it made its way out through a family get-together. We had a wedding that we were, that family was at, and as we were at the wedding, we joined, and there was an aunt from across the country, and she came and she saw young Emma, who had been taught this lesson about beauty. And she came, not knowing what mom had been trying to do, and she said, when Emma was dressed up for the wedding, oh, Emma, you look so beautiful. And Emma kind of made a funny face and looked down to the side and whispered under her breath, How can she see my beauty just like that? We need to define what beauty is. 
You see, children are born every day in this world. But parents, grandparents that choose to point them to Jesus Christ, that does not happen every day. Let you and I support these families and support any other one who's moving in this world and they need a community of believers. They need some to help them. So often we feel so clueless. Let us point them together to a God who has a plan for each and every child that is born. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, when we look to you, it is with appreciation that we can call you Father. We can enter into the throne room, and because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can talk directly to you. We praise you for this on this day. We thank you for a time to be reminded that we have responsibility that does not just involve ourselves, but we can connect with others. We can touch other lives. We can pray. We can give a word of encouragement. We can do acts of kindness to help. God, we thank you that Christ was the first model of this. That picture that's so familiar to so many of us where where the disciples told the children to stay away and Christ said, let the children come to me. Would you allow us not to think that we are too important to have influence over children? but to see that it was important to our Savior and it needs to be important to us as well. While we have our eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray today. This piano takes a moment to play through. We talked about Jesus Christ coming into this world to save sinners. I would invite you, if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, you can do that even right now. If you understand that Christ died on the cross, for your sins. You're destined to be separated from Him forever unless we accept Christ. And even in this moment, you can pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and ask God to save you. I'd invite you to do that if you've never done so. For others, would you accept this challenge? Pouring into others, praying for young people, praying for parents would you accept the challenge of understanding that we're going through this not on our own but together take a moment to pray